back like we never left. This is Double Move Sports. I'm Steph Albiero. I'm here with the fantasy phenom, my guy, my partner in crime in this fantasy game, Alex Lott. Say what's up to the people. Hello. How is it going? I am super hyped today. It's been a weird week. Teams are reporting to camp. We're at the time of this recording. We're currently getting a lot of the news about opt-outs. Some of the guys that have opted out so far are um, Patrick Chung, Dante Hightower, Devin Funches. So hopefully, I mean, I don't blame anyone. It's in the best interest of their and their family. So I'm definitely not going to fault anyone for opting out. But for fantasy perspective, hopefully we don't see too many names opt out, especially not big names. And hopefully we can have a good, fun, and safe season. So still a lot of things are probably going to change between now and drafts. But that's why me and Steph are here. Get you ahead of it. Um, get you all the latest and greatest info and give you some good perspective going into the season. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's going to be so much breaking news left and right, I think, from now until week one. But guys, if you like what we're doing here on the show, if you can give us a sub on YouTube, that is huge for us. A like is always appreciated on there as well. If you have any questions, whether that's draft questions, trade advice, you can hit us up on Twitter at Double Move Sport on there. We're also posting to Instagram as well. And you can go to our website. If you want to see our rankings, just go to DoubleMoveSports.com. You can see all of our content put together in one place and a breakdown by each position all 32 teams, we sat at them out. We did all the heavy lifting and the hard work for you. The only lifting I've done, all quarantine. <laughs> That's for sure. Today we're talking about, I'm really excited for this one because I think this is where a lot of fantasy players have a ton of questions. And we're talking about split backfields. Backfields where there's some ambiguity in terms of which running back's going to be getting all of the workload, who's going to be getting the goal line carries, the the rushing work, the pass catching duties there's a lot of questions in a lot of these backfields um and again these are backfields that have some murkiness going on steph and i certainly aren't you know these beat reporters that have all the latest and greatest info we're not like spies in these teams locker rooms so we don't know exactly how things are going to break out but based on what we've seen um, based on the information we have we definitely have some pretty good perspectives here on what we expect from these guys one based on their current situation and two just based on historically what what we see out of you know a free agent signing or a, or a team bringing on a rookie or the incumbent running back when a rookie comes in different situations like that can definitely help us um, lean one way or another when we look at the coach and the decisions they like to make as well with their backfield so Steph with that I think the first team we're going to talk about here is going to be the Denver Broncos um, they have Philip Lindsay, who's gone back to back with a thousand yard seasons, and they bring in Melvin Gordon on a decent contract. I believe it was two years, sixteen million dollars. Definitely not the contract Melvin was hoping for, but decent running back money nonetheless. Yeah. So, Steph, what do you see for Melvin Gordon in Denver this year? There's a lot that I see, and I, I really want to get into Melvin Gordon. He's been slowly rising up on my draft board uh, as the offseason's gone on. And I know, you know, shout out to Derek Ridlin and, and Well and Zap624. You guys are commenting on our videos asking for us to break down Melvin Gordon. And so we're going to do that here. Uh, I, I think I have a pretty interesting take on him. The Broncos ran the ball a lot last year. They were the 10th highest in terms of run play percentage in the NFL in 2019. We had Philip Lindsay, like you said there, uh, and Royce Freeman. They had 356 carries between the two of them. So Lindsay was getting 62% of the carries in that backfield with 224 carries on the season. So think of a 60-40 split between Lindsay and Royce. 
Lindsey finishes the RB19. He was just okay last season. It was hard to know when to start him. The Broncos were on this uh, QB carousel last year with Joe Flacco, Brandon Allen, and then Drew Locke coming in at the end. But in the offseason, this Denver team has made a ton of moves. They brought in Pat Shermer this offseason, who historically runs a lot of outside zone, just like the Broncos did in 2019. So I don't expect a ton to change there. It's not like they're going to just suddenly become this power run gap team. And Shermer likes to spread out the defense, get guys in space. He's brought out the best football from quarterbacks like Nick Foles, Case Keenum, and Daniel Jones with this philosophy. And a big part of Shermer's offense is utilizing pass-catching running backs. Denver also invested in two wide receivers early in the draft, bringing in Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler. So to me, that, that says this offense looks like it'll be passing a little bit more in 2020. And I am expecting the rushing volume to come down. Uh, before Melvin Gordon was signed, Philip Lindsay was rising for me on my draft boards uh, early in the offseason. But they actually gave Gordon a really good deal. They gave him a $16 million contract over two years with $13.5 million guaranteed. And Philip Lindsay's there as an undrafted free agent <laughs> who still does pose a threat to Gordon's rushing volumes. So let's talk about the rushing volume splits that could potentially happen in Denver. If it's a 50-50 split, we're talking about 170 to 180 carries for both Gordon and Lindsey. I think that's the worst case scenario here for Melvin Gordon. More realistically, I think it'll be more like a 60-40, maybe even a 65-35, which puts Gordon at the 210 to 230 carry range. But the difference for me that takes Melvin Gordon over the top is his, his skill set in the passing game. Even with Austin Eckler back uh, on the Chargers, Gordon saw over four and a half targets a game in 2019, and he's been above or on pace for over 80 targets a year over the last three or four years. Gordon's going to be a checkdown option for Drew Locke. He'll be on the field for third downs. And Lindsey only saw 48 targets last year. You know, you th think of Philip Lindsey and his profile you think of him as more of like a, a explosive scat back like in Austin Eckler but he only saw 48 targets last year Royce Freeman actually had more than that with 50 uh, and Gordon has a nose for the end zone uh, Melvin Gordon both on the ground and through the air has averaged 12 touchdowns a season over the last four years he scored nine touchdowns on 12 games played last season we're kind of like it seemed games. like he was cramming in two yard runs all year long <laughs> I mean, he was getting worked in for two of those games after his holdout. He's not the most efficient rusher, but he was putting up 75-plus scrimmage yards a game with all of the receiving yardage added in. He was on pace to be the RB12 last season. His previous finishes are the RB8, RB5, and RB7 in PPR leagues. His current ADP is the RB19, and I see him as a high-floor RB2 with a slightly capped ceiling just because the offense is unproven and I think the we could see the wheels fall off in Denver but Alex if you had a draft today where would you put Melvin Gordon would you take him over Le'Veon Bell James Conner or Chris Carson I would take him over a couple of those names it's interesting you said his ADP is RB19 I have him right at RB19 uh, this season I do have Lev Bell in front of him but I would take Melvin Gordon over James Conner. I would take him over Chris Carson. So depending on who else is, is off the board, I'm definitely willing to take Gordon at that ADP. For me, this was a weird move by Denver because they give a running back $8 million a year with that $13.5 million guaranteed over the duration of the contract. And it's like they already have a solid running back that, you know, is getting the job done in Phillip Lindsay. And 
I like I would have almost seen Melvin Gordon go to a contender like with Denver. They signed him to a two year deal. I don't think any of us expect Denver to be a contender for a Super Bowl over the next two seasons. So it's like, why do you have to go over the top and try to upgrade the running back position when you have someone adequate in Philip Lindsay who's not costing you anything? So to me, it was a very interesting move by Denver. I do think with that contract and with the signing, they're going to give him work. So I like a lot of the things you said, but I think right now he's valued right where he should be. And I'm definitely willing to take him as my RB2. I mean, as I'm, you know, putting together this, this take here, Gordon kind of moved above Chris Carson for me. I actually think I would take him over Lev Bell, James Connor, and Chris Carson in any sort of PPR um, until we hear about Carson's health. If we hear that the hip's fine, he's good to go, then give me Carson over Gordon. But as it stands right now, I think Gordon is the top uh, guy out of all those four in that, you know, mid RB2 tier that we've been looking at. Yeah, I, I definitely think Gordon is going to have going to have a solid season and I, I don't think he can disappoint I love what you said he has a high floor he should be the goal line back he should get a lot of the touchdowns he should get a lot of receiving work and that leaves us with the question like what happens with Philip Lindsay this is a guy who two years ago he was that hot waiver wire pickup week one and he got a lot of people into the playoffs by being a free running back two for the duration of the season last year like you said he was hit or miss but he still had value um, as an RB2 so this year it's like, what do we do with this guy who now is behind Melvin Gordon on the depth chart, has back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons? It's one of those situations where I just don't know that you're going to really want Philip Lindsay on your team because the upside just feels so low. You talked about the split. I actually have the carries going with about 200 for Melvin Gordon and 170 for Philip Lindsay. But with that, I don't have Philip Lindsay for a ton of yards or touchdowns. I think Melvin Gordon is going to get a lot of that goal line work. So I have Gordon for the bulk of the touchdowns and Lindsay getting a couple on his own. And you said it. Lindsay's not this scat back who excels in the receiving game. He's solid. Like he's had 35 receptions in each of his first two seasons, which for the running back position is fine. Um, and, you know, this season, I just see Melvin Gordon coming in, taking a lot of that receiving work. Royce Freeman last year actually had 132 carries and 50 targets. So I see a lot of that work shifting directly to Melvin Gordon. And I think he is going to cut into Lindsay's workload as well. So with Philip Lindsay, I think he's a desperation flex at best. I have him, you know, around 750 yards for the season. So I think for, you know, football purposes for the Denver Broncos, he's going to be a really strong RB2. But for fantasy, I just don't know that you're going to be able to trust him. There's going to be a couple weeks where Lindsey goes for 100 yards and a touchdown with a couple catches. But trying to pick and choose which week that's going to be is just going to be too tough. So maybe if you're in a desperation situation, throw him in there as a flex. Um, And maybe he will pop off that week and get you 15 or 20 points. But unless Gordon has an injury or misses time, it's just going to be too hard to predict. So to me, Gordon is that top 21 running back. And Philip Lindsey is a low-end RB3, high-end RB4. Yeah, I see Lindsey as like... He's like the Austin Eckler comp, but then you take away all the air usage and and efficiency, and then it's just like, well, there's not really that much to like. He's kind of a pure depth play. If something were to happen to Melvin Gordon, he'll he'll jump in there and take over that workload and usage. But until then, he's not really a guy I'm eyeing in drafts. Uh, But let's shift over here to the Colts backfield. Alex, I'll let you take it away. We've talked about the Colts backfield a lot this offseason, and part of that's probably because I'm a Colts fan, but also I feel like that is like one it's one of the most questionable backfields in fantasy football right now, or just for general NFL fans. Like we don't really know what's gonna happen with Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor. And Jonathan Taylor is one of the hottest prospects in this draft. He's incredible. He was my number one back. Huge power. Steph, you sent me that photo of Jonathan Taylor and his Colts duty. He looks like he is like Superman. In that uniform, he looks like so. he ate Nick Chubb. <laughs> <laughs> he probably did, but 
Um, you know, he's got power, but he's got that four three nine speed, which is just unbelievable. He comes onto a team where he gets to run behind one of the most elite offensive lines in football. And right now, Steph, I have Jonathan Taylor around 250 carries. And I know that sounds wow. crazy, but Marlon Mack had 247 last year. So it looks like I have Taylor at 231. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he did push that 250 number, though, because Mac, like I said, he had 247 last year. I think Mac is going to be the backup on this team. It's actually probably going to be similar to the Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay situation we talked about. I see Marlon Mack in a similar role to Philip Lindsay, where he's going to get, you know, 150 or so carries in this offense, but you're just not really going to know the week that he's going to get 80 yards and a touchdown. So, uh, as far as Jonathan Taylor goes, though, I think. He is definitely going to have touchdown upside on this team. I think he could easily see double-digit touchdowns behind a team that wants to run the football. Phillip Rivers is there. I think the offense is going to be improved from last season. And Taylor does have that breakaway ability. I wouldn't be surprised to see him rip off a couple 40, 50-yard touchdown runs this season. So when I look at Taylor, one of the biggest questions people have is, is his upside really there with Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines when he's not a receiving back? And I think Phillip Rivers is going to throw to the running back position enough where Naheem Hines will be the primary third down back, passing downs back. But I think Taylor could see a ton of dump offs from Phillip Rivers. Like you just said it earlier in the pod with Melvin Gordon, even though Austin Eckler was there, when Melvin Gordon came back, he was still getting four and a half targets a game. If Jonathan Taylor sees four to five targets a game in this offense, he is going to be a top 20 running back lock this season. Um, Philip Rivers had 182 targets to the running back last year. Those are not all going to Naheem Hines. Even if it's 150, those are not all going to Naheem Hines. So, you know, the pocket collapses. Rivers is standing there. He's not going to be able to scramble out and extend the play. So he's either going to throw it out of bounds. He's going to do what we see Philip Rivers do a lot of time. Tom Brady does it too. Like if there's a defender closing in, he just drops straight to the ground. Like he just went limp <laughs> and just takes the sack. Or he's just going to dump it off over the lineman to Jonathan Taylor. So we could see a lot of that this season. I'm super hyped for Taylor. According to Fantasy Pros, the Colts have the easiest schedule for running backs this year. So this could be one of those teams, like we saw with the Ravens and the Niners last year, these elite running football teams. The Colts could easily get to that to that level this season. If he comes in and he's the, the one from day one, which I think is actually a somewhat likely scenario. Like, yeah, I don't think it would be crazy if, if Jonathan Taylor comes out in his first game and has – you know, close to 15 carries on the ground and a couple targets. Like, I, I think that's completely Steph, reasonable. Steph, really quick, to that point, to that point, we're going to probably talk about this a lot with some of the teams that have rookies, but what are the chances, give me a percentage chance, that Jonathan Taylor comes out week one for the Colts and is on the field for the first snap? It's tough with no preseason, a weird minicamp this year. That makes me a little bit concerned, but what what do you think the Colts are going to do? Is that realistic? You know, I don't know about their first snap, but I do think they'll try to work him in over the course of the first, call it, you yeah. know, four to six weeks of the Early season. I, I think there's that, you know, you kind of move the preseason over into that first four games, that first quarter of the fantasy <laughs> season and treat that as kind of the ramp up period. And so for Mac, where he's going on draft boards, I actually think he could be a plug and play RB2 for the first four to six weeks of the season. Uh, Mac is a very good running back. I'm not going to say elite, but I was heavily invested in Mac last season as an RB2 and I was very happy with him in the weeks that I was starting him. He's coming off a year where he was top 10 in carries, rushing yards, and rushing touchdowns, but still finishes the RB22 after finishing as the RB21 in 2018. Part of that is due to injury. Mac misses a few games a year over the last couple of years. He barely gets any passing work. He saw 14 receptions in 2019, 17 receptions the year prior. 
Maybe that check down volume, like you said, goes up with Rivers in town, but Hines and Taylor are there to split those pass catching duties with him. So even if we expect the carries to be around 200 for Mac, which I, I think is a best case scenario, that's still really not enough to be fantasy relevant on a week to week basis. I look at Mac as a draftable option if you take a guy like Clyde Edwards Alaire, maybe DeAndre Swift, because I do think they will have some very solid weeks early on in the season as Jonathan Taylor gets eased into the offense. But it's it's only a matter of time for Mac. The clock is ticking for him. Taylor looks like an absolute beast. I'm really excited to see what he can do. Uh, but I love the strategy of, and we'll talk about this because we'll talk about the Chiefs backfield in a little bit. If you draft Jonathan Taylor, why not take Damian Williams as the other rookies getting eased in and Clyde edwards Alaire? And then vice versa, if you take Clyde Edwards-Alaire, take Marlon Max. That way you just have a safe option that you're plugging in as both of these rookie running backs with high draft capital are getting eased into their respective offenses. I, I love that type of approach this year. Steph, so I, I really think in a worst-case scenario, I think you're right on Marlon Mack, by the way. I, I agree with you 100%. He's definitely going to have more value earlier than later. But for JT, I think in a worst-case scenario, he finishes as an RB2 this year. If it's a 50-50 or a 60-40 split in favor of Taylor – I really think he can still provide on that value and be an RB2. But, Steph, I'll ask you this. Right now, by the way, Taylor's being drafted as the RB21, so he's right at that value. Steph, if Marlon Mack, if we were to find out right now that Marlon Mack was going to miss the entire season, whether it be an opt-out, oh, injury, whatever, where are we drafting Jonathan Taylor? I mean, I, he's got to be on that cusp of of an RB1. I, I would put him in that you know 15-plus range at least. I'd have to actually really dig into the numbers to see what that would look like. I, I could see that it being as high as like an RB8 on the year. Yep. I, I really think he'd be in that Aaron Jones, Josh Jacobs conversation. Right. So that's the upside we're talking about here with JT. And it could even be higher than that. So I, the upside is huge. You're not having to take a ton of risk because there is some sort of floor here this season. Um, so, look, I'm excited for this Colts backfield and Jonathan Taylor. I'm, I'm taking him in a lot of places, especially if I lock up a very safe, secure RB1. I don't mind having the lottery on, on Jonathan Taylor as my RB2. Um, but with that, Steph, let's go ahead and move over to our next backfield. We're going to talk about the San Francisco 49ers um, and, and that split between Tevin Coleman and Raheem Mostert. So Matt Breda is out of town this year. It looks like Moster got his contract situation figured out, so both of those guys should be there in San Fran. Moster really had a strong stretch there to end the season into the playoffs. What are your expectations for this backfield and Raheem Mostert this year? Man, I, 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 this is one of the backfields that I just hate, especially investing in at my draft when there's just so many question marks. Last season, I actually this this kind of surprised me when I looked at the stat lines from 2019 last season Tevin Coleman and Raheem Mostert both tied in carries with 137 both of those are outside of the top 30 in terms of rushing attempts uh, but Mostert did see his usage drastically increase when Coleman was missing some time with injury here and there and we know just like every Kyle Shanahan running back there's going to be some great options in there and Mostert was a great fantasy option we saw that last season but it doesn't exactly make me feel warm and fuzzy to see a healthy Jarek McKinnon returning Jeff Wilson having his games is he healthy there. I mean he looks healthy is Jarek McKinnon the, really healthy I've been hearing that for two years I mean the workout videos on Twitter uh, I'm taking those 100% at face value and not questioning them at all so Jarek McKinnon is going to have a great season <laughs> but we can't ignore the upside Mostert showed down the stretch 
He was the guy in San Fran towards the end of the year. Shanahan even came out and said with how good Mostert was playing, it was hard not to give him more volume. From week 10 to the end of the season, he was the RB14. He was averaging over one touchdown a week during that stretch. He led all running backs in the NFL with 5.6 yards per carry. He looks like the number one over Coleman on the Jeff chart. Like you said, they, they figured out that uh, that extra money situation. We're able to give Mostert a couple extra bucks this year. But you just have to know that there will be weeks where Mostert seemingly isn't on the field. He only had more than 15 carries one time last season, which was in a shootout with Baltimore in the rain. He didn't get more than one or two receptions in a game all season. And that's why he's going outside of the top 24 right now. Right now his ADP is the RP29. When you're looking for strong RB3 options, I think there's worse guys than Mostert. But with how boom bust he is, not knowing when to start or sit him, I've typically been avoiding Mostert in most drafts in favor of guys like Ronald Jones, which we are very bullish on, DeAndre Swift, Mark Ingram, even Kareem Hunt, who we'll talk about here in a little bit. In backfields like this one, my approach is just to take the cheaper option so I get almost the same amount of upside, albeit with a little less volume. So give me Coleman three or four rounds later in my draft as he's currently the RB41. And Alex, I know you're a big Tevin Coleman truther. I'm excited to hear what you see in him from an upside and volume perspective. Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't really call it being a Tevin Coleman truther, but <laughs> I, I'll tell you, I find myself taking Tevin Coleman a lot in drafts because the value's there. And right now, Mostert is going as the RB29 in PPR formats, and I actually have him ranked as my RB25, and I still don't don't find myself w- with Mostert too often because for me, like you said it best, um, with this offense, it's it's just unpredictable. There's going to be games where Tevin Coleman disappears, and there's going to be games where Mostert disappears. It's a true hot hand offense under Kyle Shanahan. We even saw Jeff Wilson get into the end zone a few times last season. So Ew. to me, like I see this as a 55-45, maybe a 60-40 split with Mostert leading the way. Um, but honestly, like Tevin Coleman's going to get the receiving work. He's a better pass catcher than Raheem Mostert is. You mentioned Jarek McKinnon as well. So when I see Mostert going as RB29 and Tevin Coleman going as RB41, I'm taking that disparity and leaning on the value of Coleman every single time because I think there's a decent chance Coleman is the most valuable um, running back in this offense next season. Now, having said that, I think the upside for Mostert is a little bit higher. I don't know if there's a situation where Tevin Coleman is a top 12 running back where Mostert's ceiling is probably creeping towards an RB1 if everything goes right. Um, But that's about as high as he can climb. And the reason being, as you mentioned, the tear to to end last season, Mostert had seven touchdowns in his last six games, but he also only had seven receptions in that span. So he had as many touchdowns as he had receptions. And to me, like, even if you're (laughs) crushing it on the ground, running for a hundred yards a week and a touchdown every week, if you don't have the receiving work to go along with it in half PPR, PPR formats, you're never going to be able to break into that top eight, top 10 running back tier. You're just not like you look at all the top guys, McCaffrey, we know what he does receiving the football. Barkley gets a ton of targets. Kamara, even Zeke gets a ton of targets. So everyone we're talking about in that upper echelon of running back, Dalvin Cook as well, Aaron Jones, everybody up there gets the receiving work. And Jacobs, that's the big thing with Josh Jacobs, not to go too far off the topic here, but that's why he's like outside of that top tier is because we're like, he needs the receiving work to have top five upside. So with Mostert not only having this weird hot hand situation, but without the receiving work, I just don't see the upside. I think he could definitely be an RB2 this year, but that's probably going to come with some up and down weeks because we just don't know how it's going to play out. And a perfect example of this, 
is the first playoff game last year against Minnesota. They come out first playoff game. Um, you know, they want to win this game. They're only going to put the ball in the hands of who they can trust. Mostert had 12 carries for 58 yards while Tevin Coleman had 22 carries, 105 yards, and two touchdowns. That's a playoff Sheesh. game after the hot hand streak by Mostert in the season. So for me, it's like you just never know what Kyle Shanahan's going to do. Coleman was the hot hand. He got the ball that day. And the next game, ironically, is when Mostert went off for 220 yards and four touchdowns. So you just never know what you're going to get. Coleman also got hurt in the first half of that game. That's why Mostert was getting just about everything. So... Yeah, I am a bit concerned about Mostert and his current value. I think he could return on it, so I'm not like, you know, I'm not a hater on Mostert, but I just find myself taking Tevin Coleman if I'm going to take a shot on one of the two. I'm with you. I'm with you 100% on Coleman. I, I think we could actually find Coleman ahead of Mostert by by the end of the season in PPR. Yeah, but let's jump over here to, you know, we talked about your Colts. Let's talk about my Browns in a very interesting oh. backfield where I think both running backs are going to have their games in, are going to be startable options. We all know the story. Nick Chubb was a Derrick Henry game against the Texans away from winning the rushing mm-hmm. title last year. Kareem Hunt came back in week eight. And unlike the Denver Broncos, I do think this is one of the few backfields where both guys are startable. Hunt will get air usage, decent rushing volume, probably some touchdowns. And trouble being elite rusher on the ground and see a lot of usage in the red zone. But it can't be ignored how Chubb's scoring volume and his air usage, quite frankly, declined when Hunt came in. He went from the RB6 to the RB15 in games with and without Hunt. He was still getting 18 carries a game, so plenty of volume on the ground, plus the goal line work. But the roster moves and narratives have all been about how Kevin Stefanski wants to run his old Viking offense now that he's here as the head coach in Cleveland. They brought in right tackle Jack Conklin, who was a pivotal part of the Tennessee Titans' insane run game last season. They bulked up a tight end, shelling out for Austin Hooper in the offseason. And the Vikings' volume does get carried over to Cleveland. I think Chubb and Hunt will both be awesome. Between the starting running backs in Minnesota last year, There were 400 carries and 100 targets. If both Chubb and Hunt, let's say it's a 50-50 split, and they both get 200 carries and 50 targets, I think they can both be low-end RB2s. But more realistically, I see this breaking down to Chubb getting somewhere around 250 carries, while Hunt gets 150 carries on the ground and close to 50 or 60 targets. Now, should we expect to just copy and paste everything over from, from Minnesota over to Cleveland? No, but I just want to illustrate what these Stefanski narratives really mean for these two players. And I do think both guys can get close to that type of volume, which makes Hunt a weekly flex or RP2 option in deeper leagues, like 14-team leagues. And he has value for me as a super high-end handcuff if anything were to happen to Nick Chubb. And then same thing, if something were to happen to Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb would skyrocket uh, into that RB1 range. Uh, Alex, are you taking Nick Chubb? In that, no. you know, 13 to 15 range, do you have him as more of like an RB20 type guy? Where do you have him? Uh, I do have him as an RB2. So right now he's going as RB11 is what I'm seeing on Fantasy Oof. Pros. I have him as my RB16. Um, so even at as my RB16, like I just can't get myself in on Nick Chubb. I just don't see the upside being there. We saw a bit of the upside last season. Like you said, weeks one through nine, 
he was the RB6, and that was getting some receiving work, getting a lot of the touchdowns to end the season, though RB15 from weeks 10 to 17. Like, that's much more in line with what I expect from him this season. Yes, he was still getting 18 carries a game, but when Hunt came in, he went from three receptions a game to one reception a game. That takes a huge baseline off of safety in PPR leagues. And also, in games they played together, Kareem Hunt had three touchdowns. Nick Chubb had two touchdowns. So I think there's definitely going to be some variance. One, Kareem Hunt's going to get the receiving touchdowns in this offense, too. He's probably going to get in a couple times on the ground as well. Um, So I do expect plenty of run volume from Cleveland. I do expect a better offense. Both guys are going to be startable most weeks. Chubb, if he's my RB2, I'm fine with it. But he's probably not going to be my RB2 with where he's being drafted right now. Um, And I love drafting Kareem Hunt as well. I think Kareem Hunt could be essentially the slot receiver on this Browns offense because last year, I mean, I know it's a different coaching staff and things, but last year when Hunt played, he averaged five and a half targets per game. So I know you talked about your splits between the two guys. I have Hunt closer to 100 carries, but I've met 78 targets. So I think he's going to be utilized a lot in this passing game behind Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, and Austin Hooper. And I do think Chubb is going to get the bulk of the carries, but his receiving volume is going to be low. So I think both guys do have fantasy value. I I find myself drafting Hunt a lot more than Chubb. This is another one of those situations where I'm taking the value on the second guy. And like you said, the upside for Chubb, I think the upside for Hunt is actually higher than the upside for Chubb. But the passing Because with Nick Chubb, even if Hunt goes – yeah, if, if Kareem Hunt misses time or he goes down, we're pretty much getting the Nick Chubb of last season, where if Nick Chubb goes down, Hunt is going to get all that groundwork. He's a threat in the receiving game. We saw what he could do in the receiving game when he was in Kansas City. So I think Hunt, if both of these guys were in the backfield on their own, Hunt would actually be the better um, player huh. for fantasy. But I still love Nick Chubb's talent. I think he's going to have a fine season. But the, the, draft, the draft ADP right now is just a little bit too rich for me. Absolutely. The RB, RB11 is, is way too high for me. This is per Fantasy Pros ADP right now. Looking across ESPN, My Fantasy Leagues, FFC Leagues, and a few others. So, yeah, I, I mean, RB11 is too high. I have Chubb more than that. You know, like you said, the RB15 range. And if you're taking him yeah, to, like... to be your RB1, I, I would not feel good about that. I think he's a super safe, uh, relatively, I'll say relatively high upside option you know the thing is is like is Chubb gonna be the new Jordan Howard where he's just you know being relatively efficient getting a bunch of usage now I do think he's gonna be better than Jordan Howard because I believe in the talent more but with that said it's like that that is a capped ceiling that you have to consider here with Nick Chubb I don't see like you said with the scenario where okay now suddenly Nick Chubb is getting all the passing volume if something were happen to happen to Hunt I think that just means more for Jarvis Landry and Austin Hooper there's so many mouths to feed there through the air in Cleveland so it, it's a tough one I think Chubb is definitely getting overvalued here uh, but I still think he, he has a role to play uh, in the Cleveland offense Steph real quick let's just see how far Nick Chubb would would fall down your board so he's going at the RB11 I'm gonna Let's do an either or here with some of the guys going behind him in full PPR. Would you take Nick Chubb or Austin Eckler? I knew you were going to give me this one. It, it's a tough one, but I will say Eckler here. Just for I mean, the, this was just if it's PPR. This was just RB eleven versus RB twelve in, in ADP. <laughs> so I'm not trying to do anything funny here. This is no funny business. I'm just literally going to go down the list. So Eckler over Chubb. Huh? Yeah. So and, and this is all PPR, guys. Most of what Alex and I play is yeah. PPR, and yeah. so that's kind of the the mindset that we go into. I know that's pretty much all ESPN leagues are PPR at this point. In any sort of PPR, I do have Austin Eckler as the RB13. I do think he would potentially struggle in a new offense, new quarterback, all of that. Uh, But I have Chubb as the RB15. So Eckler's two spots ahead of him. All right. How about Nick Chubb or Aaron Jones? That's a tough one. I do think there's a world where 
Chubb blows up on the ground and has a ton of touchdowns. You know, you look at like Dalvin Cook over the last couple seasons, all this red zone volume. Uh, but just knowing that Aaron Jones has seen more of that red zone volume, I'll say Jones for right now. Jones in my rankings is actually the RB8. He gets more passing volume than most people think. All right, we'll keep going down this list until we find out where, where you would take Chubb. So next, <laughs> Nick Chubb or Clyde Edwards Hilaire? Oh, man, don't do this to me. We're, we're going to talk about CEH. Um, but, man, I, at that point, it depends on who my, my RB1 is. You know, if it's it's my first running back that I'm taking, I'll probably go Chubb there just for a little bit of extra safety. Um, but if it's my RB2, I'll probably go CEH. Awesome. Last one. We'll do one more. Nick Chubb or Todd Gurley? There, these guys are back-to-back in my rankings. i probably go with Nick Chubb just because of the injury risk that's there with Todd Gurley. Even though I have Gurley projected slightly higher than Chubb, he's going to get past volume. Todd Gurley, who missed one game last year. He missed one game last year, but there's just there's so many concerns with this. We keep hearing about it so often. The knee, the knee, the knee. I'm not trying to be on that train. I might as well just take you know Nick Chubb there and get that safe, consistent volume. And if he blows up with two touchdowns that week, I'll be really happy. Uh, whereas, you know, Gurley, there's there's a wider range of outcomes for me. That's fair. That's totally fair. Let's move over here to another one that I think a lot of fantasy players have questions about, which is this Buffalo Bills backfield. Yeah, this backfield is weird because <laughs> last year it was like free Devin Singletary as a rookie. They're, you know, giving it to Frank Gore, cramming up the middle for um, a couple yards on every single play. Like, I know, I don't think it was this bad, but it reminded me of a few years ago when LeGarrette Blunt was on the Lions oh. with Carrion Johnson, and he would, they just for some reason kept giving LeGarrette Blunt the ball. So, luckily now, Frank Gore is gone. He had, he frees up 166 carries that was only at 3.6 yards a carry so pretty bad better than Le'Veon Bell but still pretty bad um so frees <laughs> up 166 carries in this offense Devin Singletary last year only had 151 carries but they also bring in rookie running back Zach Moss so I know you're going to talk about Zach Moss here in a second but I just want to break down Singletary first it's that same situation of as a rookie and Singletary was a third rounder so decent draft capital for a running back but he's not one of these top of the first round guys that's going to be a stud and in the offense from day one. So it really took him time to get ramped up. And in the first four weeks of last season, he only had five carries a game. Over the last eight games of the season, he had 16 carries a game. So from day one to the end of the season, he, you know, it was night and day in terms of his usage. In the playoffs, we we saw him have a really good game against Houston. I remember watching that game and Devin Singletary felt like the lone bright spot for this Bills offense. They could not get anything going unless it was Devin Singletary. I also had six catches for 76 yards in that game. So I think Devin Singletary is going to have a much better season this year. I have him going from 150 up to 200 carries. Um, and I also have his target volume going up to 60 targets. So I, that's around 12 carries and four targets a game, um, which you know doesn't break the bank. It's nothing crazy. Like it's It's a very realistic number, but for Singletary, a very efficient player. Uh, a guy who had 5.1 yards per carry last season, fourth in the NFL. I think, you know, that's enough volume for him to do some damage as an RB2. Right now, he's in PPR. He's the RB23 in ADP. I think that's that's about right where I have him as well. And I think he has the upside, a little bit more upside than a guy like David Johnson. I don't have the injury risk with Devin Singletary that a James Conner would give well, me. Well, Singletary you know, so. did miss time last year. He that's did miss fair. time last year. And the one thing I'm concerned about with Singletary is the touchdowns. He only had two last season with Zach Moss coming in a bigger guy. I think Zach Moss could get a lot of that goal line work and Josh Allen had nine rushing touchdowns of his own <laughs> last year. So I, I am worried about that. 
Yeah, on the year he had two touchdowns on the ground. He did have two touchdowns through the air, so I do think he'll get he'll get some more touchdowns there as well. I think a lot of that air volume is going to go to Devin Singletary, but a big concern for me is Zach Moss, who has a, a relatively similar skill set. Yes, he's more of a power back, but he did show great hands in college. And so you, know, you add in that limited passing work that's already there. It's not like the Bills are checking it down so often when when uh, Josh Allen is the one who he wants to take off. He is a rushing type of quarterback. Uh, and you definitely see that in the red zone. But I loved Zach Moss coming out of the draft. He was a third round pick, but he's pro football focuses top running back prospect out of all incoming draft classes from 2020 to 2017. Uh, and so I, he was a guy that I no had way. circled prior to the draft. Oh my God. I, I know it's, it's insane. If you go watch his highlights from Utah, you will see that he was breaking off big runs right and left, putting his shoulder down on <laughs> defenders much bigger than him. These linebackers that would approach him just trucking guys. And I mean, he has that will to score, but he landed for me in a gross situation in Buffalo. And, you know, everyone was thinking, oh, the Bills are going to grab this bruiser type back to pair with Singletary, kind of this thunder and lightning um, to replace Frank Gore. But I actually think it'll be more of a 1A or 1B situation, you know, that, that fantasy players don't really want. No, you're not going to like really having either Singletary or Moss uh, unless one of them misses times. The only hope here is that. Uh, you know, the Bills offense is great and that there's enough volume for both of them to be weekly fantasy options. But let's see the odds of that are extremely low. Uh, you know, you said Frank Gore, he vacates the 166 targets. If I'm uh, sorry, 166 carries. <laughs> that Moss, would be something. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be like Michael Thomas level. But if, uh, if, if Moss comes in and inherits all of that Frank Gore volume, He's still nothing more than dart throw late in your drafts. So for Moss to be anything more than like an RB4, he's going to have to get 60% or more of the rushing attempts and half of the rushing touchdowns, which I just don't see happening with Singletary and Josh Allen being there, especially as a rookie in this weird COVID year. I think he can be a Singletary handcuff. But to be honest, though, if I'm looking at a handcuff, I want to handcuff guys that are a little bit more proven and have a better chance to get in the end zone. I think of Tony Pollard, Alexander Madison, maybe even Boston Scott, who I think has more standalone value than Zach Moss in any sort of PPR. Singletary really isn't a back that you're drafting high enough to require a handcuff. So if Singletary's on your roster, the, the way you should treat Moss is kind of keep your eyes on the waiver wire. See if you can scoop him up cheaper uh, later on to add some depth. I don't know, Alex. Are you are you seeing like a high upside ceiling with Moss outside of him just getting like, you know, ten touchdowns? I think the ceiling is there, but it's only gonna happen. Like I think the ceiling is there, but it's not as likely as another one of these handcuffs, like the guys you mentioned, Boston Scott, even a Chase Edmonds. Um, I mean, obviously Alexander Madison, Tony Pollard. There's just so many handcuffs that I think have a a higher likelihood to hit that ceiling. Now, with Zach Moss, I think the upside is there because, one, I think he's a better player than Frank Gore was last season. Two, he's a better pass catcher than Frank Gore. So, we, I mean, Josh Allen doesn't throw the running to the running back position a lot. And when he does, Singletary is a pretty good pass catcher as well. But I think the receiving work is going to be higher than Gore saw. The touchdowns should be there if Josh Allen doesn't vulture nine away from the running backs this year. Maybe the <laughs> offense takes a step forward as well. Well, Zach Moss, he's one of those guys. I'm probably not going to draft him, but I wouldn't be surprised if at some point this season he is one of those hot waiver wire ads to just pick him up, see if he can keep the hot streak going and go from there. Because 
I think he will score touchdowns. I think he will get passing work. And for some reason, if he has a couple straight weeks where he's starting to take over this backfield, he could end up being the guy. I mean, Devin Singletary was a third-round pick just last year. Moss is a third-round pick this year. So I think the upside is there. But in drafts, I think it might take some time for Moss. So I'm actually going to go the other way um, where I think I could get Moss later on in the season on waivers if he does start to flash. Yeah, I think it really comes down to, you know, for, for both Singletary and Moss, is like, do you believe the Bills are going to be great? Do you think Stefan Diggs coming in is going to elevate this offense even a tier higher than where they were before, which is, I mean, they were a playoff team last year, really have been in that range for a while now. So it just depends on what your outlook on the, the Bills is. I don't see them taking a massive jump. I think they will improve. And for that reason, Zach Moss really isn't a guy on my draft boards. He's more of a, you know, keep your eyes on the waivers. If he's there, scoop him up and stash and see what pans out. You know, we, we keep relating, you know, Zach Moss to a guy that has another third round running back <laughs> who is 12 spots higher than him in ADP. And it's Keyshawn Vaughn. I think if you're a big believer in Keyshawn Vaughn, I think you've got to be a believer in Zach Moss. Don't you agree? hundred percent like I don't know why Vaughn is getting all this hype and we find him going ahead of Ronald Jones sometimes yet Zach Moss is virtually undrafted which just makes no sense to me yeah either either one of these are dart throws I really haven't been touching either of them very often I just think there's dart throws that you can take a couple rounds later when you're trying to get your quarterback your tight end your handcuffs um, and still feel okay with them you know maybe as your last pick dart throw in there uh, but Alex, I think that wraps it up for all the split backfields that we wanted to talk about. Um, you know, there's a couple more that come to mind, like the Lions and the Dolphins. But uh, I don't think any amount of analysis is going to point us in the right direction with either of those two. <laughs> yeah, I, like for all the Lions and Dolphins fans out there, first of all, I'm sorry. Second of <laughs> all, um, you know, the running back situations just aren't great. If we're going to talk Dolphins or Lions, I think it's going to be Matt Stafford or Tua. Or maybe if it's Magic, that guy's got some juice as well. But Steph, yeah, you, you said it. This wraps up our episode. I, I'm super hyped about these backfields. I think hopefully by the first couple weeks of the season, we'll have a little bit more clarity on these guys. Uh, you know, these next couple weeks are going to be really interesting. Actually, probably the next one week from the time of this recording, we're probably going to see some more opt-outs. Maybe we'll have to do kind of like a like a breaking episode if any more big-name players decide to opt-out. But Steph, with that, I'll kick it back over to you. Do you have any last words you would like to say to the people before we sign out here? And I'm just excited. We're, we're right here. Football's here. It looks like, as things are going right now, that football's going to happen. Um, and I'm pretty pumped, though I do have uh, – there's going to be a lot of things that are going to change and shift this year. I feel like this year more than any, if you are very serious about fantasy and you want to win your league, you're going to have to, you you're going to, have to put some extra work in. You really keep your eyes on those headlines. Like all those uh, Patriots defenders leaving could be huge for Cam Newton. And, and so we just got to look at things like that. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of analysis for us to go into Alex. Uh, but with that said, guys, again, if you like that show, please give us a thumbs up on YouTube. That is huge. A subscribe is always appreciated. We're making a big push right now, guys. Um, so anything that you can give us is really, really appreciated. And um, we also do have a podcast. If you want to take this on the road with you, you know, I know a lot of people like myself included like to listen to fantasy podcasts when I'm driving or working out. Uh, so that's always a great way to do it as well in season. Got to get that fantasy research in. But thank you all so much for listening and watching. And we'll see you next time. Peace.